Father, we do just thank you for this church. And uh, we want our pride to be out of the way. Uh, We want to be able to honestly and authentically give you the credit for whatever good happens here. Uh, Church wasn't our idea, it was your idea. And I just pray that this church would be able to be a place where we can significantly impact adults and children, people that need to be somewhere where they can feel that you love them. It's a cold world. It's a cold world, God, and I just pray that this church would be warm. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so a <clears throat> little, little background on this week's message is, uh, is just this. I've, I've had a saying for a long time that I got from a, a good friend of mine in California named Bud Burke. Uh, and Bud Burke took a saying from uh, a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson, and it was this, it's just life is messy and God is mysterious. Life is messy and God is mysterious. And it, sometimes I kind of wander away from that and I'll, I'll just get kind of caught up in things that are happening and lose sight of those things. And then all of a sudden, one week you wake up and you're just like, you know what? Life is messy. And uh, God is mysterious. He doesn't always give us the answers into that. And this week, I just kept thinking more and more as it went along. Just, you know what? Life is messy. Last uh, night and this morning, my wife and I were up with a sick child. And, and uh, it was hard. It's hard. And so I think a lot of you, uh, a lot of us that are living life and trying to make our way through it, we come to points where we realize Uh, I don't have all the strength I need. I don't have all the resources I need. I feel a little bit more alone than I wish I would feel. I don't always have the answers from God that I would like to have. Even though he is sovereign, he remains a little bit mysterious, doesn't answer all our questions, and it's difficult, and it's hard, and faith is not always easy. It's sometimes tough. And so I thought long and hard this week about the idea that life is messy and, and that it's hard to keep up. It's hard to catch a wave if you've ever been surfing, I went one time and I didn't surf much. Um, but there's a point when the wave is beyond you and swim as hard as you can, paddle as hard as you, as you might, and you're not going to catch up to that wave. And I think a lot of us in life sometimes feel like we're just paddling with all our might and we, we're, we're not thinking we're going to necessarily catch up with that wave. Um, we live in a world where uh, everybody's got teeth whitening gel and teeth whitening strips and teeth whitening toothpaste and you're stuck on Crest original formula. And you know it and you walk through the day and you're bitter um, and you just can't catch up with the white teeth craze. Um, and life is tough. And, uh, and I really think that's where we come this morning. And so if you'll open to Matthew... We're in the parable of the wedding banquet in chapter 22. And I think what we're going to see is that there's a tension between life being distracting and life being tough and all the things that we're trying to do to catch up with the wave and a calling that exists out there that's always out there and it's speaking to us and it's inviting us in and we have a real tension. And so I'll read it in uh, Matthew 22. If you're lucky enough to be sitting underneath one of the lights that aren't burned out, you can maybe read along. Um, If you're not, then come next week and scope out a light that's not burned out and you'll be able to read along. Um, We're a tabernacle church. We meet in rented facilities. It's kind of fun. 
um, chapter 22 of Matthew says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited to the banquet to, to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. If you're a parent and you're, you're putting on a banquet for a son or a daughter who's getting married and you've taken the best, the fattened calf, the best of what you've got and you've put all of that energy into it, what is your desire? Your desire is that the room would be full, that the banquet would be full. And this king has put everything into this banquet, but they, they paid no attention, verse 5, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. And then the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged, and he sent his army out and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. All in preparation for the banquet, a lot going on. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how in the world did you get here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited, few are chosen. And this is one of the easier parables in terms of interpretation. It's pretty clear. God is the king and the son is Christ. And the invitation has gone out to come to this wedding banquet, to come into the kingdom of God. And the people that were invited have ignored it. And the audience that Jesus is talking to, he's going at them because they're a part of what was invited. And it was the Jews of that day, the religious leaders of that day. And a chapter over, he's going to pronounce these woes. Woe to you, the Pharisees. Woe to you, the religious leaders. You had all these opportunities. You had all the prophets and all you did was kill them. Okay. And this parable is bringing that language into it. And it's it's like the invitation was there to you. You were the invited guests. You were the, the, the ones that God wanted. And you've now ignored it. And the prophets that God sent have been killed. And you haven't paid attention. You haven't wanted to come. You're too busy. You're too bitter. You're too tied down with religion. You're too distracted. Life is too difficult. Whatever it is, but you're not coming. And I think of that, and what, I've, what I take away from that right off the bat is, man, religion, true religion isn't easy. True religion isn't easy. If, if religion was easy, true religion was easy, man, the Jews of Jesus' day would have been there easily. It wouldn't have been that hard. They would have been in the circle of God's favor Why weren't they in the circle of God's favor? Because true religion is difficult. And I think it comes down to this one basic idea, overarching idea. And it's that true religion 
is uh, is under this umbrella. I don't know if you're going to be able to see it, but that's okay. I'm a verbal processor, so I need to do this for me. It's under the umbrella of relationship. It's under the umbrella of relationship. Um, so true religion, if you just want to, put an equal sign. Say it's relationship. It's not about doing things. It's not about check boxes. It's not about rituals. It's not about procedures. It's not about what you wear. It's not about... Uh, the language you use. It's not about anything that isn't alive, isn't relational. It's a relationship. That's true religion. And any relationship has two sides to it. Okay, so the first thing about this parable is we realize that there's an invitation. It's not neutral. It's not... Over there is something religious. If I want to go to it, I can go to it and be a part of it. It's not a destination. It's, it's, it's an invitation from somebody. Uh, all week long, I wanted to go see Rambo. I kind of had a, an itch to relive the 80s. <laughs> um, so yesterday, 12 men from the church, it was kind of like, it was like a revelation for me. I was like, wow, this is my idea of men's ministry. You know, there's... Twelve guys sitting in the theater watching Rambo, and don't go watch it if you've got a weak stomach. It's it, it makes Saving Private Ryan look like child's play. Um, but if I didn't go see Rambo this week, um, Paramount wasn't going to get mad at me and say you didn't come to to see our movie. It, it's an option that I've got that's out there that's neutral. Whether I go see Rambo or not really doesn't matter to anyone else on the other side. They're just trying to draw me in, but there's no relationship there. With this wedding banquet, there is a relationship. There's a person behind it, and there's an invitation that's gone out. And so if, again, the 80s, you know, if you listen to the band Rush, I think it's on the Fly By Night album, there's the the song lyric, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Could you guys get that? Once the invitation went out, there was no neutral ground anymore. You either accepted or rejected the invitation. Every wedding you've ever been to, what's really the driving thing behind, I'm going to go to this wedding on this Saturday and give up my time? Um, You know, Wedding Crashers is a funny movie, but people don't do that. You usually only are going to go to a wedding if there's a relationship and if there's an invitation because you know that if you don't go, you're going to be missed. There's an expectation there. And you want to build and value and pour into that relationship. And true religion is this. There's a relationship. And it's an invitation. And that invitation is out there. It always exists. And it's a big deal. Did you, ever, um, did you ever see the movie, First? I think it's First Night, where Sean Connery plays um, King Arthur? Did you ever see that one? Raise your hand if you saw First Night. I knew there was a lot of Richard Gere fans out there. Um, but, I mean, picture Camelot in that movie. And it's up on a hill, and it's the king, and it's this awesome, amazing thing, and the invitation's gone out. It just is there. It hangs in the air. You can't hide from it the offer has been made you either accept it or you reject it 
And what happens is these people reject it. And they do it either by saying, you know what? The, the garbage in my life is too much or the, the maintenance in my life is too much. And you might be coming in this morning and saying, I don't have time for God. I can't even survive through the day or through this messy relationship or this breakup I'm going through. And they either ignore it because it's not big enough. It's not Camelot enough. It's not awesome enough. Or they reject it because, you know what? Um, it's easy to be prideful. It's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to be irreligious. And when true religion, when relationship comes in and it shines a light on those false things, those false gods, those idols that we hold on to, where we judge and we puff ourselves up and we have pride, we don't like it. And we'll silence it somehow. We'll critique the church or the pastor or the people or Christianity in general, but we'll poke it full of enough holes that we no longer have to answer the call because the call just hanging there, the invitation is going to produce guilt. And so we'll kill just like the people did. They either ignored it or they killed the prophets. And so what happens is, is the king goes out and he says, you know what? Um, Tell them all to come in. The real messy people, the people that are desperate, the people that aren't too busy, people that aren't too distracted, the people that are truly humble, they don't have enough pride, they're, they're looking for something. Tell those people to come into my banquet. And one guy slips through, and he doesn't have wedding clothes on. And this guy's just lazy. He's sitting on the street corner doing nothing, party, you know, free alcohol, sure. <laughs> I'll go. But there's no respect there. And so the king gets angry and he throws the guy out and it's kind of the guy that, that, that takes God for granted and the, the imagery there is being cast out of the presence of God at the end of the age. And this guy completely had it wrong because the second thing wasn't there and there was no respect there. I was a Cowboys fan uh, growing up. Ed Tutal Jones, Randy White, back in those days, Tony Dorsett. Um, so I kind of kept watching all along, and there was a season about, what, six, seven, eight years ago um, when Deion Sanders was a running back, uh, a cornerback for the Cowboys. If any of you are sports fans, you remember that. And when Deion Sanders was in his prime, he was so fast and so amazing that whenever you watch those pregame shows, they would talk about, we have to, when we're playing the Dallas Cowboys, we have to know where Deion Sanders is on the field at all times. We have to know at all times we respect him that much that our whole game plan has to be modified to where he is on the field. Does that make sense? And, uh, and that's respect. And I think when God is up there as king and he's saying, I'm sending out this invitation and you're under that invitation and I'm just waiting your response, there's also something else. He's the king, and he's high, and he's majestic, and he's glorious. And it's not just whether you're going to come or not, but who he is deserves your respect, deserves our respect. And we've got to modify our game plan somehow to take into account how big, how high God is. And so it says that some of these people had an oxen and some of them were going about their business and and they were doing different things. And what happened was their stuff, 
The stuff of life was this high. And the king was about that high. And which one's going to win? The thing that you respect more. And I think there's very few things that God gets more angry about than that. If you go to the Ten Commandments, what's the first thing is, is you're going to have no other God but me. None. Okay, I'm going to be at the center. I'm going to be the highest, the biggest in your life, bar none. Second commandment, um, you're not even going to use my name flippantly. I'm going to force you to revere me because everything cascades down from that. You get that one thing wrong, you're going to get it all wrong. You get that one thing right, no matter how hard life is, it's going to cascade down. You're going to get a lot of other things right too. It all begins with this foundation. And so the the Ten Commandments put it there. Everything puts it there. And the king deserves this much respect. Everything else is less. And if the king invites you to the banquet that he's killing the fattened calf for, that might not be appealing to you. So you'll have to like substitute something like, you know, the, the big cheesecake or uh, the big um, veggie burger if you're a vegetarian. Um, but it's like the special banquet. Very, very special to a very, very big God. And the invitation's out there. And if we understand that, if we see that, if we realize that, This is going to get our respect. And Jesus was looking at the the audience he was talking to, and he said, you guys don't get it. You're still playing about religion that's with you at the center. Um, and, And as long as your friends think that you're something, that's all that matters to you, you'll stop there. He goes, you haven't gotten the idea that it's about relationship, and the call is out there, the invitation is out there. And that you have to put that first. Have you really grappled with that idea? That the invitation to be in relationship with the king of the universe is always out there influencing everything. Another um, crazy sports thing is Pete Rose. I don't know if you followed it, but I was collecting his baseball cards back in the 80s. (laughs) Um, It's all about the 80s, really. Um, but Pete Rose gambled on baseball, and he was a, a surefire Hall of Famer, if anyone ever was. The most hits that anybody had ever gotten in the game of baseball. I mean, he was going to own the Hall of Fame. They were going to rename it like Rose Hall or something. I don't know. Um, but he got banned from baseball. Banned from baseball, which means, you know, kind of stricken from the whole idea of baseball. Can't come into the Hall of Fame, can't do anything with the game. He's completely pushed out. And it's always there, that ban is always there for Pete Rose. And so when he shows up uh, at a team, it's like, well, we can't put you on our payroll. You're banned. When he goes to meetings uh, about Hall of future Hall of Fame people, um, his name is going to be pushed to the side. We can't talk about your name. You're banned. It's not going to happen. There's nowhere that Pete Rose can go where, where this ban isn't hanging and influencing everything. Does that make sense? It is his reality. And it colors and it, and it threads itself into everything. 
And the opposite of a ban would be an invitation, a beckoning, a, 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 a come on in, I desire you. It's reaching out, it's trying to persuade and compel you to come in. And that invitation in, in this parable was always kind of there. It had gone out at the beginning and now he's trying to remind people, remember that invitation, come to the banquet. And, and the parable is talking about the call that God put out a long time ago. Come and be my people and I will lead you and I will take care of you. In Psalm 23, I will be your shepherd and all these other kinds of pictures come into this relationship. And that, that invitation has always been there. And he keeps trying to remind people, what are you doing with that invitation? What are you doing with that invitation? What are you doing with my call to you? Um, It ought to color everything in our life. When you're driving home, there's an invitation to you from the God of the universe. When you're sitting there watching Grey's Anatomy on whatever night it is, There's a call and an invitation from the God of the universe for you to put him above everything else and make the wedding banquet your plans instead of having other plans. It's huge. I think we don't feel how huge it is. Because we put ourselves in the third person observer role. And there's Jesus. And there's the people he was talking to in the Bible. And let's look in on their conversation and analyze what it means. But that's so counter to everything the parable was designed to do. Remember last week while we talked about, we talked about why Jesus would use parables? And it's an art form, it's poetic language, it's storytelling. And the whole idea was that you wouldn't be disinterested or objective, but that it would cast it in a light that you would have to play a role in the story so that it would get straight to your subjective side, to your emotions, and you would engage the truth at a different level than if Jesus was just going bullet point, like cheesy PowerPoint version, you know, through the facts. There's an invitation from God. You know what? You've heard the invitation before. You really should respond. Make sure you wear your best clothes. Um, Sign Jesus. You know, I mean, he's not just trying to give you the information. The people he was talking to, he was pleading with them, and he's using this as a, a piece of persuasive rhetoric to say, do you get what's going on here? There's a a tradition now of discounting what God is doing and getting puffed up and being all about religion. And it's so against the whole flow of where God's headed. And you see what's going on and you're actually a part of that story and you need to realize it. Stop, take account of where you're at, drop everything else and go running headlong into that banquet, throwing your clothes on as you go. I went to a wedding one time outside of, I was working as a counselor at Pine Summit. Um, and we were going down the hill on the backside to, I think, Baker's, I don't know, somewhere in the desert. It's all the same to me. It was in the desert. And we were going to this wedding of a friend of mine. And uh, we burned out the brakes going down the backside of the hills there um, in the San Bernardino Mountains. And so by the time we were racing into town, we were so late. And we still had, tank, I had a tank top on. 
which was okay in the 90s to wear a tank top, by the way. Um, I had a tank top on and shorts and um, Tevas, and those were okay in the 90s too. Um, and uh, we get there, and we go running into the wedding headlong. And it illustrated both parts of these because we had to get there on time. So when we came bursting through the door, the, the bride-to-be, what's that called? Bride? bride to be, I don't know. Maybe that's the right name. The bride-to-be is standing there with her dad. And she's about ready to go on, uh, on in. She points to the side doors. So we burst through the side doors. Everybody's already looking back because they're expecting the bride. And there, and there I am in, in a tank top. And I thought it was cool up until that moment, like this great adventure of rushing and like doing the O.J. Simpson, like over the chairs to get somewhere on time. And, and so I was like just fighting to get into that place. And then all of a sudden I walk through the doors. Everyone looks at me and I've got a tank top on. And I felt stupid. Um, and uh, that part has nothing to do with this illustration. But the idea is... The headlong part. You got the invitation. I don't care if your brakes burned out. I don't care if your marriage burned out. I don't care if you flamed out on life. I don't care if your business failed. I don't care if your body is failing. No matter how messy it gets, there's somewhere better to go, to, to be at. There's somewhere that you should be going towards. There's, there's a, a invitation. And there is better than here. And there is better than all the other distractions that we might have in life. And there is really all that matters. And so we read this parable and we, we look at it disinterestedly and it's kind of like when your teacher in the fourth grade was chewing out your friend and, 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 you know, the teacher's chewing out your friend and you're laughing and, you know, you pointed at him like, ooh, you're in trouble. Look at you, you're getting made fun of. And all of a sudden, um, the teacher turns to you and says, and you, Billy, you know, George, Bob, Fred, Susie, Sally, I don't know. Um, the teacher all of a sudden turns to you and puts you into the act of discipline. You don't get to hide outside of it anymore. Your, your, your face is getting red now too and you're beginning to worry, uh-oh, is this going to lead to the dreaded call to my parents? Um, this morning, we've got to get put into this story. The story isn't just about some Jewish leaders that didn't get it and they were playing religion instead of realizing that in a relationship with a king who has invited them, a king who's worthy of respect, who is high and who is mighty and who is bigger than anything else we can throw up. That in that situation, we're there too with all the stuff of our life. And when we're staying up late at night going round and round, it's so easy to crowd out that call that's always there. And it's, it's never beating you over the head, is it? You know, I love when Jesus writes the letters to the churches at the end of Revelation and, and he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you just open the door, I would come in. 
And it's amazing. God doesn't break down the doors for us. Um, He wants us to answer the call. If we seek, we will find. And if we ask, we will receive. And we really have to drop the things that we're putting into our hands and filling our time with and filling our energy with and concerning ourselves with. We really do have to drop those things and realize that even though it's faint, that calling is there and it's reverberating around everywhere we go. And it's in the air and we can grab hold of it and we can listen to it and we can respond to it. And that if we do, the minute we do, the moment we do, we'll be met there by God and he will usher us into that relationship, that banquet, that kingdom. Um, we can't put ourselves outside of this story. We have to look at it as if Jesus was talking directly to us. Um, one of the things I did in college, I was in engineering and and I really screwed around a lot and didn't like to study. And so whenever I had an elective, I would just take whatever was easiest. Maybe that was your way through college too. Um, and so I ended up in a film class because all it was was watching like movies for three hours. Uh, <laughs> and analyzing movies and you got a grade. It was pretty wild. Um, but we learned about the different camera angles that they use to, to make movies. And so there's the bird's eye view, and then there's the extreme long shot, um, and then there's uh, kind of the medium distance, and there was a name for that, and then there was the close-up. And the close-up was like, you know, the, the torso and up. And then there was the extreme close-up. And the extreme close-up, if you ever saw the movie The Hunt for Red October, like there's a part where it begins with Sean Connery's eyes, you know, and then just goes backwards from there, but it's like just his eyes, and... That's the extreme close-up. And I think what we do with Jesus in general is what we do with this parable as well, is that we remove ourselves necessarily from the real drama that's going on, and then we don't really feel it. And the way we do that is this. If I said to you, um, picture Jesus now, just in your mind, picture Jesus Almost everyone I've ever talked to, if I said, picture Jesus now and then describe what you see, they see a distance shot of Jesus walking in a robe over there with crowds of people, and they see him maybe preaching, and they see him maybe doing this stuff. But the typical person that I've met, when they think of Jesus, thinks about him over there at a distance doing stuff. And what I realized when I became a Christian as I looked back at that film class was that I never, when I think of Jesus, immediately go straight to the extreme close-up of just Jesus' eyes looking at me. If I'm going to think of Jesus, the first picture I get isn't Jesus looking at me and smiling or looking at me and saying, you know what? Um, I want you, just like I wanted the woman who bled or the tax collector or you know this zealot or this fisherman or whoever it was, the woman at the well, we don't look at him looking at us and saying, I want you. I'm concerned with you. Your life matters to me. I'm inviting you. Stop what you're doing. Put the nets down. Walk with me and I'll show you how to really live. 
That's not the first picture that we see. And I think some of our hard parts in understanding the relationship that really is true religion is because we can't get our minds around that picture of Jesus caring about you. Not just the guy next to you or your sister next to you or your child here, but you. And if we could just put ourselves into the parable being spoken to and realize that God cares about us and that the invitation includes us, then maybe we would just get that connection and realize I've got to make a choice. I either choose yes or I choose no, but there is no neutral ground because that invitation is there. I've got to make a decision. So maybe what we really need to do is just see Christ looking at us. See him looking into the mess or the difficulty or the pain and say, you know what? I understand, but I want you Answer that question for me first. I'm inviting you. I care about you. Come and follow me. Come and take a real rest. Come and put my yoke on your shoulders. Come and let me tend to you. I'm a doctor. I'm a shepherd. I'm a leader. I'm a king. I'm a friend. Come with me because I care. And if we can start there, maybe all of a sudden there's something compelling about this invitation And maybe it's a little easier for us to understand that, you know what? It's amazing. This call and this invitation is amazing. And we we can respect that and put it up on a pedestal and get excited about that. And that that'll lead to a priority in our life that says, you know what? No matter how messy it gets, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because Christ's grace is sufficient for me, that relationship, that kingdom, that banquet, that place where I can go that is better than here is all that really matters. And in my weakness, sometimes it's easier to let go of these, says Paul, and realize that this is really what matters. And so I want to read the parable one more time from the book of Luke. Jesus gives this parable in Luke. And it's in uh, chapter 14. And I just want you to maybe close your eyes and listen to it again. And I want you to see someone's eyes or mouth looking at you, talking to you, trying to compel you to understand that this is of the greatest importance. Now, Jesus says a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited to come for everything is now ready. The time is now. The kingdom of heaven has already begun on earth with the relationship between Jesus' followers and Jesus Christ. He came to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see to it. Please excuse me. I have something more important to do. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. So please excuse me. I have something more important to do. And still another said, I just got married. Life is too urgent and busy right now, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets 
in the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, sir, said the servant, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Nobody's going to get turned away from the kingdom. I don't care how down on yourself you are or how much of a mess you think your life is, you will not get turned away. There still is room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. He said to him, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in, compel them to come in, persuade them to come in so that my house may be full. Now we're about to take the offering and you can put cards in the bucket when it comes by. You can do all that business. But look here. Listen to me now. Do not miss this. Jesus came to talk to people like you. Living messy lives that have questions that don't always go answered. And people like you are the people that God wants. You are the person that God wants. You are invited. You're in the country lanes and and you're in the alleyways and no matter what you think about your life, God is saying to you and you have to choose how you're going to respond. He's saying, come into my banquet, come into my kingdom, come and be in relationship with me. The king said, go out to the roads and the country lanes. And uh, make them come in. Amen.